the beginning was the word. 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 Word, I'm gonna say the word. 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 From the studios of KJZZ in Tempe, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in the state and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. We're winding down our efforts for National Haiku Writing Month, Nahai Raimo, and our haiku writing contest, which you can enter by visiting word.kjzz.org. We've received a lot of great entries so far and expect nothing less as we continue until the end of February. But we would be remiss if we did not include the inaugural Poet Laureate of Phoenix. So we welcome Rosemarie Dombrowski, who is a professor at Arizona State University at the downtown campus. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tom. So for those who are unfamiliar with a term like Poet Laureate, what does that exactly mean? Because it's not something that a lot of people come into contact with. I think it's 90% of the population that is unfamiliar with that term. A poet laureate is essentially a literary advocate for either the state or the city or the nation. And since I was uh, elected to be the Phoenix Poet Laureate, I am the literary advocate for the city of Phoenix, which means that I'm doing poetry programming throughout the city. I'm trying to increase the value and the visibility of poetry. Uh, I like to say that I'm trying to make poetry part of the vernacular in Phoenix. I want it to be a fixture, like street art, like other forms of art that people are more familiar with and unafraid of. And so that's part of the reason why I do literally take poetry to the streets. And you say elected, so do you have to stump for something like this? Luckily, I didn't need any campaign funding for this. And so how long has this office, if you will? I am starting my third year currently. And so it was a two-year term renewable for two years. And uh, I've been officially renewed for one year. And that's only because we currently do not have a mayor. And I don't think that the budget has been solidified yet. I'm pretty cheap. So I'm guessing that they will keep me on for that fourth year. I don't know that I should even be announcing something like that, but but I do. Well, when it comes to writing poetry, it's not really the way to... uh, It's not profitable. No, no. You get used to living on nothing and, and running programs on nothing. It hasn't stopped your productivity because, I mean, you've been nominated for five push carts, Best of Net nomination, also a 2017 Arts Hero Award. That's just outstanding, among Thank many, you. many other nominations and winnings. Thank um, you. Tell me a little bit then about the Arts Hero Award, because I don't know if some people don't consider poetry and art necessarily, but you know, I think a lot of times when you hear arts, People think chiefly of things like painting, sculpture, music, perhaps. Right, right. I think the Arts Hero Award is something that is designed to recognize people who are very embedded in the community and are bringing artistic programs to populations that otherwise would not have access. And given what I've been doing with the literary arts for probably the last 15 years of my life, and of course the last two as Poet Laureate, I felt like that was the highest honor I could have received, to be recognized for the work that I do in the community, to just grow the creativity and promote the agency and the act of storytelling, uh, which are all things that poetry does. So I like doing that from the ages of you know five through 95. 
And I pretty much work with all of those populations throughout the year. It's important for us to be able to tell our stories, and poetry is the perfect vessel for doing that. You don't have to commit to 500 pages. You don't have to commit to a narrative arc like you do in a novel. Sure. Um, you know, it's something that I can do in an afternoon with people, and it gives them such gratification. You know, in terms of not having to have uh, character arcs and, you know, 500 pages, you know, like a novel <laughs> or something like that, haiku is, you know, completely the inverse of that. And maybe you could write one on the way up in an elevator in your head and then get it down on a napkin or something Very like true. that, right? And so obviously this being National Haiku Writing Month, we wanted to sort of focus on that form. One of the things that I have noticed quite often is that kids, elementary school students, maybe middle school students, if they're first being introduced to writing poetry, if that still goes on, I don't know. It's been a long time since I, <laughs> I've been that age. I think it's sporadic, right? actually. Not in every school. <laughs> but it's often taught to younger children write as a first mm -hmm. means of writing poetry, and then it sort of isn't taught anymore. And I, I wondered if you had any thoughts on that, and if you yourself teach the form. Well, it's three lines, so it's obviously a good place to start, not just with kids, but with people who are unfamiliar with poetry and maybe not comfortable with writing or, you know, their own creative acumen. So it's three lines. I usually tell my students it's an observation and a reflection. And so it's external and then it's internal. And I think it's something that we might do, like when we're in nature, I think it's something we might do if we go to the botanical gardens, we look at something and we think about how beautiful it is, or we think about how, you know, uh, a series of spines is reflecting the sun. And then we have a feeling about that. We just don't inscribe it, but that's essentially haiku. And so maybe... What's happening in the ed educational system is that we're assuming once we plant these seeds at a young age that it's a form that people will just take with them because it is so easy to retrieve at any point in your life. You don't really right. need a refresher course in haiku to be able to write a haiku. I mean, I really think haiku month is the way to go because this seems more inclusive to me. I think anybody at any age, at any stage in a writing career or any stage in a creative process can write three lines a day, something you saw and, and a way that you felt about that thing you saw. So this is one of the most powerful forms for me. I love brevity, though, so maybe I'm a little bit biased. <laughs> I love being concise, even though I talk way too much. Uh, when I put it down on the page, that's when I really like to shave, shave away, shave away. And haiku gives you the freedom to do that. Rosemarie Dombrowski is a professor at Arizona State University at the downtown campus. This is National Haiku Writing Month, the month of February, because it's the shortest and the shortest form of poetry. You, you sort of touched on it a little bit with, you know, this mixture of inner feelings, you know, outer observations. What other things attract you to the form of haiku? I think it's perfect for ADD culture. If we're not willing to admit that we all have a little bit of it now, come on. Right. I mean, it's not just a millennial thing. Of course we do. And I've probably always had it because if I don't have 16 tabs open at any given time on my computer and another 12 documents minimized and then some other hands-on project on this side of my desk and then some bills that I have to pay on this side of my desk. I mean, come on. We all have ADD. So... Again, for us to assume that anyone of any age is going to be able to sit down um, and 
read a short story within, you know, a 30-minute class period and then attempt to mimic that form, that seems unrealistic to me. But with haiku, there can be a back and forth. There can be a dynamic sort of performative reading on the part of the teacher, on the part of the students. Uh, there can be a little bit of writing time, then sharing time, and then you can write another one. I mean, so much can happen within the space of that hour when you're only asking people to write three lines. And again, the potential within those three lines is so great because if the first two are observation and that third is an interior reflection, I mean, that's the perfect dialectical balance. It's that interior-exterior interplay that I think is going on all the time that we're just not aware of. And haiku makes us aware of that. So in a way, it just makes us more human. It makes us have to feel something about the things that we're seeing. And that's what really excites me about the form, that and the brevity, of course. It's got to be done in a short amount of time. And one of the things that I personally like about haiku is it's like you're in the midst of a, of a fog, right? Um, it's not very clear. And so people can intuit, they can bring in a, a lot of different emotions. I mean, sometimes they're very stark and you sort of can get a perfect image of something. But oftentimes there's a lot of room for interpretation. Do you find that to be the case with haiku? I think so. I mean, I think there's a lot of room for interpretation within the poetic container, you know, whatever sort of subform that container is taking. And maybe that's not something that deters me from poetry, but it can deter other people from poetry. Here's how I like to sell the container of poetry. I like to tell people this can hold fiction, it can hold nonfiction, it can hold history, it can hold political protest. It can hold the vastly personal and the vastly public. It's a ubiquitous container. It can hold anything. There is no other literary form that is unbound by those constrictions and those constraints. So in a way, even though people think poetry is full of rules, I don't get these line breaks, I don't understand these stanzas, that's secondary. That's secondary right. to the fact that the container can be fiction, nonfiction, and it can be both of those things simultaneously. In the ancient world, poetry was history. And a lot of contemporary poetry is also history. It's a modern day record of history. It's a way for us to record and process the things that are going on around us. And so that's a form of inscribing living history. I like that image of uh, what I might call a generic soda can, right? That's good. It just has grape soda on uh -huh. it, but it's not a brand name, for instance. I love that. Now poetry is like the dollar store soda. Yeah, yeah, That's awesome. Exactly. That's yeah. great. Rosemarie Dombrowski, who is a professor at Arizona State University at the downtown campus, and of course, our poet laureate here in Phoenix. We want to thank you so much for coming on the program. Thank you so much. This was great. Word. Word. Word, I'm going to say the word. 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 Thanks for listening to Word from the KJZZ Studios in Tempe, Arizona. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org.